Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Manish Patel, acting professor of law at UC Davis School of Law. We'll be discussing his recent paper, Merger Breakups, which I'll include a link to in the show notes for today's episode. Manish, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Hey, thank you, Andrew. Nice to be talking to you today. This paper is asking the question whether agencies should should challenge mergers that have been consummated uh, even after they've already been subjected to an agency review process and approved through that process. I wonder, before we get into the meat and bones of the paper, if you could give a little bit of background about what that pre-approval process is, uh, how that scheme works, and maybe what the potential or the availability for post-merger review is. For sure. I'm happy to, to do so. By way of background, Federal merger review occurs pursuant to the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act and its implementing rules that are collectively known as Hart-Scott-Rodino, or if you want to uh, be short about it, HSR. And perhaps the best way to get a feel for the structure and the recognized clear benefits of Hart-Scott-Rodino is to first think about and discuss merger review and enforcement as they existed before the enactment of the Act in 1976. Uh, So merger enforcement prior to Hart-Scott-Rodino is generally understood to have been relatively ineffective at advancing the objectives of antitrust. And the biggest problem in the pre-HSR era was one of timing. And what occurred then was that the agencies, and that's the FTC and the DOJ, the Antitrust Division of the DOJ, became aware of a merger only after it had been consummated. And additionally, even in those instances in which the agencies had somehow become aware of a merger before consummation, because they had no way of forcing the parties to defer close until after antitrust review, other than going to court and obtaining preliminary relief, agency challenges to mergers would occur uh, only after merger consummation, or at least that generally was the case. And the fact that before HSR, agency merger challenges uh, would ordinarily occur after consummation really impeded the effectiveness of federal merger review and merger enforcement. And most important, uh, because those challenges were to consummated mergers, even if the agencies you know, were to prevail in liability and establish that the mergers generated declarative harm, the litigation would drag on for years. And in the end, courts had severe difficulties trying to find and structure a remedy that did what needed to occur, and that is to restore competition to the affected markets. And the key issue, one, was one of unscrambling the eggs. And What I mean by that is by the time the courts would be able to impose a remedy to an anti-competitive merger in the pre-HSR days, the party's assets and operations would have been so commingled that it was really difficult to find some remedy that, uh, for instance, broke apart the merged entity in a manner that uh, infused competition back into the injured markets. The enactment of uh, Hartscott-Rodino in 1976 changed all of that. And um, that act and its implementing rules created a mechanism uh, that requires merging parties to do a few uh, very important things. First, they have to notify the agencies of their proposed transaction prior to consummation. Uh, They have to furnish those agencies with information enabling an antitrust review of the merger. And then finally, to defer consummating the merger until after that antitrust review. 
So uh, now under current federal merger review scheme, when parties have agreed to merge, they must report the merger to the DOJ and FTC and allow those agencies to conduct a review of the transaction before they move forward with it. Now, not all mergers are subject to HSR review, but, and I'm being a little sloppy here, the Act does cover mergers above a particular size. So assuming the Act does apply, the merging parties report the transaction to the agencies prior to closing it, and then the agencies are given the opportunity to review the merger and evaluate whether it is expected to generate competitive harm. The extent of the scrutiny that the agencies direct at the mergers is going to depend on a bunch of things, uh, but really it depends on the extent to which the agencies perceive that the merger is going to generate competitive harm down the road. It's important to note that federal merger review is not a perfunctory process by, by any means. Depending on the extent of the perceived harms, the agencies can subject a merger to considerable uh, scrutiny, requesting voluminous documents and data from the merging parties and affected market participants like purchasers and consumers, and may also challenge the transaction through litigation and attempt to prevent it from going forward. The vast majority of mergers, however, that do undergo antitrust review are deemed uh, by the agencies to not generate competitive harm and are allowed to go forward without any restriction. And among the narrow set that are assessed by the agencies to generate competitive harm, the parties ordinarily will work with the agencies to uh, restructure their transaction in order to assess competitive concerns. So to take an example, for suppose we're talking about a merger between two companies that operate retail gas stations throughout the United States. And suppose that in every city in the United States, other than pick one, let's say uh, Des Moines, Iowa, there's numerous gas stations other than those operated by the merging parties. But in Des Moines, Iowa, all the gas stations are operated by just the two merging parties. So assuming that that transaction is reportable, then the agencies would take a look at it for antitrust concerns. And most likely outside Des Moines, the merger wouldn't be expected to raise gas prices or otherwise harm competition because of the other competitors that would uh, remain in the market, even though competition would have been abated by a little bit. Now, that wouldn't seemingly be the case in Des Moines because in that market, the merging parties own all of the gas stations. And after the merger, the number of competing gas stations goes from uh, two to one. So a price increase certainly is plausible, uh, if not likely. So in this instance, the agencies review the transaction, would likely identify a competitive issue with it, but only with respect to the Des Moines market. And a likely outcome is for the agencies to scrutinize and then challenge the transaction on background. And then the parties and agencies would come to some agreement that allows the transaction to go forward. And the most likely fix to that would be for the parties to proceed with their merger as is outside of the Des Moines market, but then divest some of the gas stations in the Des Moines market so they're not the only competitors. And then finally, one other important legal point about Har Scott Rudino, which is uh, important to thinking about the issues, is that the act uh, does not prescribe, in fact, envisions the agencies mounting future merger challenges, regardless of whether or not they reviewed the merger as part of the HSR process. And in other words, uh, scrutiny ex ante does not preclude challenges ex post. So in the uh, gas station example, if the agencies and the parties the, agree to move forward with the transaction, but on the stipulated terms, the agencies certainly down the road could take a look at the merger again and then decide to challenge it ex post, that is, after the fact. 
So we have this scheme in place uh, to help avoid a situation where we need to unscramble the egg uh, to allow uh, before a merger is consummated an assessment whether it will cause competitive harm down the road, as you say. You discuss in the paper that that's a, an inherently predictive exercise. What tools do regulators have for making that prediction and what are some of the limitations on their uh, their ability to be accurate predictors? Sure. To, I guess, put that into perspective and, and to uh, reiterate your point is that the merger review process is inherently predictive and the inherent predictive nature of that process follows really from the temporal ordering of things. Merger review used to occur after the fact, but now occurs before the fact that is before proposed mergers are actually consummated. So what that means is that when the agencies evaluate a merger for competitive effects, they do so without any evidence of the merger's actual competitive harm. And so the assessment is really a prediction of the merger's expected competitive effects. Now, that prediction is going to be an extremely informed one in connection with the HSR process. The agencies can and do gather a lot of information and data that they can use to predict the merger's competitive effects. And, and that analysis is conducted in a really, really careful way. Much of modern antitrust relies on the tools of economics and econometrics, and both the DOJ and FTC are staffed with, with highly skilled economists who apply cutting-edge empirical techniques aimed at assessing whether a given merger will likely generate competitive harm. And apart from quantitative analysis, the agencies also rely on qualitative evidence to guide their predictive analysis. Uh, for instance, the agencies may informally or formally get information about a merger's expected competitive effects from the customers of the merge firms who are, in many instances, ideally situated to at least have some good sense about the way the merger will break with respect to its impact on them. And this and other qualitative information can be extremely effective in supplementing or in, in some instances even superseding the quantitative analysis that the agencies are, are doing to predict a merger's competitive effects. Now, with any other predictive exercise, a prediction that a merger will not generate substantial competitive harm may turn out to be wrong after the fact, meaning that a merger that is considered ex-ante, that is at the review stage to not pose competitive concern, may ultimately turn out to generate competitive harm after the fact. And there's, uh, you know, there's a bunch of reasons uh, for that. So, what, so for instance, because of the imperfectness of the information gathering process, the agencies may not have all the information that's germane to the competitive effects analysis, especially because they're going to be conducting that analysis under limited time and limited resources. So in the hypothetical at the top about the merger of the two gas station retailers, the agencies may only be able to obtain some of the data that's relevant to their quantitative assessment. And there's also a bunch of sort of nitty-gritty uh, practical points that we, we may not think of, but the economists that are doing the analysis are always thinking of. For instance, the data may not be in the, the right shape or form, the quality weight may be poor, and the data may not lend itself to the right empirical technique. So for all those reasons, even though the ex-ante analysis is done in a, in a strong way, there's certain shortcomings that are inherent in the process that may 
uh, preclude a assessment that turns out to be right after the fact. And I, I suppose it gets it gets worse or better or neutral depending on you look at it. So even if you think about the this sort of ideal and extremely hypothetical world in which the agencies have all of the relevant information and a unlimited amount of time and resources to evaluate that data, because the process is inherently uncertain and uh, a perfect complete ex-ante prediction can still turn out to be wrong ex-post. So if you give me a, a coin and give me years and years to look at it and evaluate it, I'll know that that coin is going to, on a flip, turn out to be 50-50. But if you flip the coin, uh, I'm going to get it wrong half of the time. So the point is that uh, ex-ante predictions, even if done in a very robust and fulsome and near complete or complete manner, can turn out to be incorrect ex-post, that is, after the fact, that is when the merger has been consummated and, and goes forward. So this is a predictive exercise that is robust, but of course, it's always difficult to uh, predict the future. Um, and I think an interesting aspect of your paper is you discuss empirical results for merger retrospectives, uh, studies undertaken by the regulators to go back and see whether their predictions uh, were right uh, in effect. Could you discuss kind of what these merger retrospectives are, what have been the empirical results from them, and how can these studies be used to contribute to the legal antitrust uh, literature? Sure. And and you describe them generally, and I'll just repeat that. They are murder retrospectives are empirical studies that seek to evaluate whether a particular merger or a set of mergers actually did or did not generate competitive harm. So going back to the gas station example, for instance, a merger retrospective could look at the merger some point down the road and using data on the merger's realized competitive effects, ask, for example, did the merger generate competitive harm in the form of higher gas prices at the pump? And it could do so with respect to all of the markets or with respect to some of the markets. So for instance, that Des Moines market, that was the point of concern for the antitrust analysis at the top. So an economist, including economists at the FDA, and elsewhere have been conducting retrospectives for some time, but they've grown in prominence and in frequency in recent years. And a large number of retrospectives have been uh, conducted. And of course, the studies, like any empirical study, needs to be carefully and critically evaluated and assessed. And, and it's certainly the case that uh, there are retrospectives that show that mergers that were evaluated did not generate competitive harm or, in fact, generated competitive benefits. Many, many more retrospectives um, show otherwise. That is, they show that the mergers that were under evaluation by the researchers generated competitive harm, uh, despite the fact even if they were subjected to the merger review process. So just to take uh, one example, I could pluck one of many, but to take uh, one in, in 2008, Ori Ashenfelter and Dan Hoskin, two well-known economists, evaluated the price effects of five mergers in the consumer products sector. So each of those five mergers was reviewed and cleared by the antitrust agencies pursuant to the uh, Hart-Scott-Rudiner process, and at least two of them were subject to an agency challenge before they were able to go forward. And Ashenfelter and Hoskin find that of those five mergers that are studied, four of them went on to generate competitive harm, the net 
for those four was in the three to seven percent range, which seems like a marginal amount, but it's it's not, especially given the amount of commerce that was affected by the mergers under consideration. And there's many other retrospectives that have similar conclusions, and and the Ashenfelter and Hoskin is, is just one that gives the flavor of the, the the type of results. What what are the implications of the body of merger retrospectives? Again, why they need to be evaluated carefully. The the fact that a critical mass show that evaluate mergers go on to generate competitive harm has a number of implications on antitrust and antitrust policy. Uh, one clear implication on the one that I discussed in my paper is that the retrospectives provide compelling justification for additional agency challenges to mergers that were previously reviewed and cleared. After all, if those mergers go through the regulatory scheme but nonetheless go on to generate competitive harm, additional ex post challenges can advance the objectives of antitrust but as you know, as I also discussed in the paper, there are reasons to be very wary about an unbridled and unprincipled increase in those sorts of ex post challenges. So I'd like to come back to the the ex post challenges in just a moment and some of the risks that, that might inhere in that process. But I think this paper is really timely in that it comes out at a time that antitrust has probably been more salient uh, in the public conversation than it has been in my my lifetime. And there is that sense or question in the air whether uh, some mergers that were approved a few years ago, particularly in the, the tech sector, might have some competitive harms and uh, and perhaps unwinding those transactions might be, might be in the public interest. You highlight a few of those cases in your paper, uh, particularly in the tech area. And one thing that I thought was interesting was that some of the justifications for breaking up some of these mergers, uh, and, and maybe you might want to uh, touch on some of what those cases are, but the justifications for the breakups aren't so much pricing, which we might typically expect to see in the, the antitrust context, but they touch on other consumer interests, for example, privacy. Does this focus on things that aren't pricing related, factors that aren't pricing related, signal maybe a change in the types of harms consumers uh, might have that we might need to think about in the antitrust context? And is this maybe a, a result of kind of the new wave or neo-Brandeisian school of antitrust? Sure. Yeah, you're right. The, the paper is motivated by recent conversations in antitrust that ask whether and I suppose the manner in which antitrust should be used to curtail the dominance of, of large tech companies such as Facebook, Google, Amazon, and others. And as you know, a wide variety of proposals had been advanced. And one set of proposals, this is a, a strata, calls on the federal antitrust agencies to challenge and unwind key mergers in, in the tech space. The list of mergers that have been identified for potential ex post review and breakup is, is, is somewhat long, but includes uh, some of the best known mergers in the tech space, such as Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, Amazon, Whole Foods, and for instance, Google, DoubleClick, and there are a number more. A key observation, though, is that each of these mergers was subject to antitrust scrutiny and reviewed by the federal agencies in connection with the HSR process, and in many instances after a lengthy antitrust review. So, for instance, uh, to take one, the Facebook-Instagram transaction was subject to review and investigation uh, for at least five months, and the commission unanimously voted to close the investigation after that review. 
So these calls for the agencies, uh, these recent calls for these agencies to challenge these specific mergers motivates the paper's general question of interest. And, and that question is, should the agencies more readily challenge mergers that they previously reviewed and cleared pursuant to the federal merger review scheme? Now, with respect to the competitive effects of the specific technology mergers. I suppose it's important to note at the top that it's not necessarily the case that we have compelling and credible evidence that those particular mergers are substantially impairing competition. Instead, there are arguments that those mergers are potentially doing things that that, uh, harm competition and run contrary to antitrust. With respect to the potential threat of harms for those various mergers, it's not always the case that the proponents for breakup identified the specific competitive harm that would justify unwinding the merger, and that that's somewhat problematic. Um, antitrust did not prohibit mergers per se, or even large mergers per se. Instead, there has to be some competitive harm that would justify challenging or, or a merger ex ante or even ex post. That's not uniformly the case. And as you know, one potential competitive harm that is often attributed to these tech mergers is a deterioration in consumer privacy. So for instance, but some argue that Facebook's acquisition of Instagram enabled or at least incentivized Facebook and Instagram to care less about user privacy. Privacy raises a really, really interesting antitrust issue along a number of dimensions. To start, though, it's important to recognize that privacy is a cognizable antitrust harm. Poll star of antitrust, that is the standard that's used to evaluate whether or not conduct is anti-competitive or not, the so-called consumer welfare standard, that standard assesses the lawfulness of conduct that's challenging the antitrust law depending on whether or not the conduct does or does not impair the welfare of consumers or more generally the individuals who are going to be on the other side of the challenge transaction, which ordinarily will be consumers. In recent years, one sometimes hears statements that the consumer welfare standard is is too narrow because it focuses just on price and thus is an inadequate lens with which to evaluate conduct in the technology sector because most of the associated products have no positive price, right? Facebook, for instance, does not charge users to use or access their network. Uh, but that supposition or that statement about the breadth of the consumer welfare standard is, is not exactly right. That standard is not just focused on price and instead encompasses any harm, price-based or non-price-based, that could impair consumer welfare, such as a deterioration in, in privacy. And that point isn't just an academic one. Courts and agencies routinely look at non-price effects when evaluating whether or not challenge conduct is anti-competitive or not. For example, to take the Google DoubleClick merger, which is one of the mergers that some have identified as being a potential object for, for breakup, the FTC investigated that merger as part of the merger review process, and its competitive effects analysis expressly evaluated whether or not the transaction would generate competitive harm by undermining privacy to advertising consumers. The, the more interesting issues concerning privacy and antitrust, I, I think, are there at least Two, one is is how to include privacy into a competitive effects analysis, and and second is whether or not we're using the right instrument. And I can explain what I mean by that. First, with respect to the point about implementation, there's a number of thorny issues there. So to take one, suppose there is a transaction, a merger that ends up lowering prices for consumers um, or maintains a zero price, for instance, but 
results in an impairment of, of user privacy? How, how do you evaluate a price decrease that can be monetized versus a privacy loss, which at least directly can't be monetized? How do you, you compare those two to determine if there's been a net loss to consumer welfare? A number of other issues to think about. So, for instance, that privacy considerations has to accommodate the fact that consumers continue to use these various networks, even though it is understood that that usage will result in a loss of, of user privacy. So how, how do we score up consumer harm with voluntary choices of consumers? The second piece on, on the right instrument, what I mean by that, the obvious question is, is, is privacy is, is a cognizable antitrust harm, but should we be using antitrust as the mechanism or tool to address privacy issues? The antitrust laws are not privacy protection statutes, they're, they're competition statutes. So if we think that certain conduct is pervasively causing privacy deteriorations in a manner that necessitates intervention, the right approach arguably would be to better enforce or enact new privacy or consumer protection legislation rather than using antitrust. And an analogy that one sometimes hears it re relates to product safety, for instance. So if there is a transaction that undermines product quality, then that is a competitive harm. And suppose that competitive harm is in the form of decreased product safety. In that case, our first instinct, and if that's happening pervasively, for instance, uh, in that instance, our, our first instinct would not be to use antitrust to regulate product safety, but we would look elsewhere, uh, product safety regulations and, and possible statutes, and the same may go for privacy as well, again, within the scope of antitrust, but maybe we should be more directly addressing that conduct elsewhere. So we have this set of post-merger reviews, and as you mentioned a few mo moments ago, we shouldn't be cavalier about doing a review of mergers that have already been consummated and that have been uh, approved through the HSR process. Could you discuss what some of the risks of merger reviews are uh, and how uh, would you suggest and how do you propose in this paper that we mitigate those risks and go about deciding when to engage in a post-merger review? Sure, sure. Maybe before doing that, I, I could just sort of get the general question out of the way. And that general question is, is, is should they do that? Meaning, should the agencies increase the number of ex post challenges to mergers that they previously re reviewed and cleared? For if the answer to that is no, then we can sort of end the conversation. If the answer is yes, and it's going to be, um, because I hope the conversation continues, the answer to the question then is, what is the specific way in which that occurs? So starting with the, the general question, that is, should the agencies increase the number of ex post challenges to mergers that they reviewed and cleared? I think the answer to that is a clear yes. And to start with, while it is the case that the agencies maybe routinely is, is too strong a word, but often challenge consummated mergers generally, they only very rarely challenge mergers that have gone through the HSR process, such as the uh, technology mergers that have been targeted for breakup. And as substantiated by some strong theoretical reasons and the evidence in the form of the merger retrospectives, the agencies can advance the objectives of antitrust by more readily challenging mergers that they previously reviewed and cleared. Now, under the second point is, is the way in which they should do it. The optimal policy is not simply for the agencies to ratchet up the number of ex post merger challenges. And, and the reason for that, was when you hinted at is, and I mentioned earlier, is that while there are clear competitive benefits from additional ex post challenges, there's some 
big potential downsides associated with ex post challenges. And uh, one of those relates to the question about uh, remedies, which I'll touch on in a second. That is to say that merger review after the fact, uh, as we learned from the pre-HSR days, merger challenge after the fact is a very messy process and assets may be commingled. And so it's not the case that we're going to be generating competitive gains because we may not know how to fix the problem. And there's other reasons why we want to be cautious as, as well. For instance, it's understood that ex-ante merger review is a superior method than ex-post merger challenges. And by expanding the scope of ex-post challenges, that may undermine the effectiveness of ex-ante review. And there's a variety of reasons why that could be the case. And and one just relates to, to pure incentives. If the agencies have multiple chances to review and, and, and correct a merger, their incentives to do so in the first instance may be mitigated a little bit, given that they have multiple opportunities rather than if they just had that one chance at the top of the timetable. In any event, the, the point is is that we want agencies to increase uh, the number of ex post merger challenges, but we want them to do so in a in a principled and, and reasoned way. And I argue in the paper right, that the agencies should challenge a previously reviewed and cleared merger only if two conditions are satisfied. And the two conditions I identify find their source in the key potential benefits and costs of expanded ex post challenges to reviewed and cleared mergers. So what are those two? First, first requirement is that the preponderance of the agency's evidence shows that the merger has or is likely to substantially lessen competition. So that limiting criteria looks at the competitive part of the question. That is, given the evidence that the agencies have before them, does the bulk of that evidence indicate that the merger is likely to or is substantially lessening competition? And the second limiting factor relates to, to remedies, and, and that is that the agencies reasonably believe that there is a remedy that would correct the merger's competitive harm. And this factor is looking at the most off- important offsetting consideration, that is, the viability and effectiveness of a remedy. And it's likely going to be met in almost all circumstances, but it may not be that the right remedy is a breakup. And the the final point is that those conditions are necessary conditions and not sufficient ones, meaning that they both may be met, but the agencies may nonetheless elect not to ex post challenge the merger for a whole host of reasons. So you've mentioned remedies. And of course, uh, if a post-merger review does happen and if a, a consummated merger is challenged, sometimes it can be fairly direct to sort of split up a company. Uh, but oftentimes the egg might have been scrambled, as you mentioned before, and it can be a little bit harder to remedy that situation. Uh, how should we be thinking about remedies and, and maybe how might we apply that thinking to some of the, the cases that are in the news and in the headlines today? Sure. Just one point of terminology to frame my comments is antitrust generally breaks up remedies into uh, two types, structural remedies and so-called behavioral remedies. And as the name implies, structural remedies do something to the structure of the merged firm. So, for instance, break up the firm or, or require it to divest certain assets, just like in the gas station example at the top, allowing the merger to go forward, but with divestiture of the gas stations in Des Moines, Iowa, with a structural remedy. Uh, on the other hand, in, in addition to structural remedies, there are so-called behavioral remedies. And as the, that name implies, these are remedies that impose restrictions on the behavior or conduct of the merged entities. 
Now, the scrambling of the eggs point, because of the integration of the merge firm's assets operations, a structural remedy in the form of a breakup may not only be too costly, but actually may be ineffective in restoring competition. And this is intuitively clear if we think about companies that have coexisted together for many years and and whether or not separating those companies would allow competition to be infused into the effective markets. But we also have good evidence from the pre-HSR era. Challenges at that time were to consummated mergers and remedies are understood not to have been especially effective. And we have anecdotal evidence of that, but also studies that have looked at the remedies in the pre-HSR era. And there's a more sophisticated way to, to say this, but the results weren't so good. And this is especially relevant to the identified technology mergers that have been slated by some for breakup because many of them were consummated so many years ago. Facebook, Instagram, we think we passed the seven-year mark on that one. Facebook, WhatsApp, another one that now half a decade baked and Google DoubleClick is an extreme case, but we're beyond a decade, 11 years on, on that particular transaction. So it, it may be that for those particular uh, transactions, even if we were to identify a competitive concern that would warrant the ex post challenge, the right remedy may not be a structural one, i.e. may not be a breakup, but instead may be a behavioral remedy. And apart from this point about the scrambling of eggs and the extent of integration, the nature of the competitive wrong is really relevant to identifying the appropriate remedy. So to take your example at the top about privacy, so suppose that that's the competitive concern and and we find that there's a merger between two entities that causes a deterioration in privacy and and we, we have grounds for breaking up that company and we go ahead and task the agencies with doing that. Now, is the right remedy a structural one? I'm not so sure. In that context, that means that we would think that the breakup of that merge entity is going to cause those privacy concerns to be abated. It's not entirely clear that that would necessarily be the case. Maybe the right remedy then is is a conduct remedy that imposes restrictions on what the merge entity is doing with user data and use privacy. But again, that then implicates a larger question about, well, maybe we should attack that directly that is outside of antitrust. Network effect is another issue. And network effects is, of course, a circumstance where products become more valuable the more that users use them. Facebook, for instance, is more valuable to me the more other users use it. And that has implications on a host of antitrust issues, including the question of breakup, because network effects allow firms to really easily capture a market because growth can occur just by the fact of having more users as opposed to necessarily quality. And so if we break up a merged entity into constituent parts and those constituent parts continue to exhibit network effects, it may be that the firm that wins in the end of that may not be the one that is the best out of the a lot. Now, the point, though, isn't that breakup will not be an effective remedy, but that it may not be an effective remedy. And we should think about that. In other words, maybe we shouldn't, or I offer we shouldn't automatically jump to breakup as being the right remedy to the extent we find some competitive harm. Manesh, what closing thoughts from this paper would you have for listeners? 
The recent scholarship on antitrust has done a great job of forcing us to think really hard about competition issues that may have been previously in our blind spot, especially as they relate to technology companies that form the mainstay of our modern economy. And for instance, we've been talking about mergers and privacy. That is a, a super important issue that some years ago got some discussion, but not so much as it does now. More generally, the issue of privacy and antitrust is an issue that was, was somewhat latent in the past, but now is clearly in the forefront. And th th these are important discussions. And there are a number of other antitrust questions that, again, in the past were in the background that have been brought to the fore. For instance, the role of antitrust in correcting labor market imperfections that generate harm to workers in the affected uh, industries. And these are real antitrust problems that we need to think hard about. But at the same time, sometimes one hears about somewhat drastic proposals that are provided with perhaps a little less care than the identification of the antitrust problem in the first instance and may not necessarily find their basis in antitrust and, in fact, without any nuance, may be counterproductive. And as an example, I would offer the question presented in my paper, and that is whether or not there should be subsequent challenges to mergers, that is, whether or not mergers should be broken up. That That is a wonderfully rich and important antitrust question, but I offer that the answer there requires some nuance and careful thinking, just like it does at the top end. And at the extreme is a notion that bigness by itself is necessarily bad. And certainly, uh, antitrust does not stand for that proposition. And I would argue that it should not stand for that proposition. And instead, the correct metric is, and uh, I offer should be, that bigness is bad in particular circumstances. So the point, I suppose, is that just like recent scholarship has taken great care to identify potential antitrust concerns that before now have been underappreciated, we likewise should take great care in devising the correct policy proposals to correct those competitive harms. Our guest today has been Manesh Patel, Acting Professor of Law at UC Davis School of Law. We've discussed his recent paper, Merger Breakups, which I will include a link to in the show notes for today's episode. Manesh, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I, I hope you stay well. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.